This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV. Well, the good people of the renewable energy sector have finally weaned themselves off the public teat. A few representatives of the industry told a Senate committee last week that from now on, they... We believe that the owners of these reactors should be fully responsible for all costs of operation, including decommissioning, site restoration and waste disposal. We believe that the people of Australia should not be subsidizing any part of such development, particularly since all of these developments are now off the shelf. There is no development for the most part that is needed. Sorry, did I say the renewable sector? I meant nuclear, of course. That was actually a gentleman called James Voss, the managing director of Ultrasafe Nuclear Australia, making a very generous offer to the Australian government to provide clean, dispatchable, reliable and cheap energy for Australian cities within about seven years. If reducing our emissions is the great moral issue of our times, then any organisation that offers to do so without also sticking its hand out for subsidies should be listened to. The committee in question was the Environment and Communications Legislation Committee consisting of on the day, Labor Senator Karen Grogan, Liberal Senator Holly Hughes, LNP Senator Matt Canavan and others. They were discussing the, remo the Removing Nuclear Energy Prohibitions Bill of 2022. Or to put it more plainly, they were seeking advice from experts about why Australia's restrictions on nuclear energy are utterly insane. They were seeking an alternative view to this one from our esteemed Federal Energy Minister, Chris Bowen. Nuclear power is very expensive. Wherever nuclear power plants are being built around the world, they are taking longer and costing much more than budgeted for. Even small modular reactors would cost a massive $5 billion each to build. And proponents say we need as many as 80 small re reactors spread across the country. That's a whopping $400 billion in cost. And an alternative view is what the good senators got. Here is Tony Irwin, of the technical who is the technical director of SMR Nuclear Technology. I think it was interesting to see Chris Bowen say five billion for a, a small body reactor. 
And, and I would agree with that figure. Um, but for that, you get 13 terawatt hours a year. Yeah. <laughs> now, to get the same actual generation out of a solar plant, you'd need 11 of the big Darlington Point solar plants. They're 450 million each. So 11 comes out about the same. So you're talking about the cost of nuclear and the cost of solar being basically the same. But then for the solar, you've got to add on the storage. Yep. You've got to add on the, the local transmission. You've got to add on the interstate transmission. The lifetime is 25 years compared to 60 years. So if you look at the actual costs of solar in the system, it's about double the cost of nuclear. Mm. Double the cost, eh? Irwin went on to say that the United Arab Emirates is in the process of building four such reactors at $5 billion each, which will provide around six gigawatts of power. All the coal plants on the Eastern Australian grid add up to about 20 gigawatts. So for $20 billion, nuclear reactors could provide about a quarter or a third of the East Coast's needs. This is a more efficient investment, as, as Liberal Senator Holly Hughes observed, this is money spent on actual energy generation, not upgrading the wiring network, which Bowen has embarked on and has been estimated to cost, or will cost, about $100 billion. That's money spent on equipment that doesn't actually generate electricity. It just distributes it. How do you make sense of all this? Well, you do that by bringing in Australia's beloved plain-speaking geologist, one of the few experts in this field who doesn't have rocks in his head, Professor Ian Plymer. Professor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Professor, our Energy Minister Chris Bowen says that wind and solar are free, but you've done some research into the cost that nature herself is paying for windmills and solar panels. What are they? Well, wind and solar are not free. The capital cost is large. The second thing is that the amount of carbon dioxide used in manufacturing them is more than they'll ever save. The third thing is the amount of energy used to make them is more than they'll ever create. And they're certainly not free for the consumer because the consumer is having to pay increased electricity costs. And if they were free, we wouldn't have the relationship we see now. And that is the more wind and solar we put in, the higher your electricity bill. Now, wind and solar are renewable. The only thing that's renewable about it are the subsidies. And these subsidies just keep coming. And you, the taxpayer, keep paying these subsidies. And that's because governments are too frightened to bite the bullet and say this is very old technology. This old technology has to be supported because it's financially unviable. So um, the argument that Chris Bowen puts up about it being free is just wrong. We all know that nothing is free in today's world. Indeed. One thing, well, one thing I'm mystified about is that they want to stick windmills offshore where they, I mean, they are more difficult to build out there. They present a hazard to shipping and shed toxic microparticles that kill marine life. Now, you're probably well familiar with the uh, proposed uh, um, forest of windmills that they are going to build off uh, East Gibbsland in Victoria. Are there any benefits at all to windmills, let alone ones offshore? 
Well, the benefits are to those who are getting the subsidies and making a lot of money by increasing electricity prices. And the benefits are they have fewer community concerns. Uh, People with land nearby wind turbines have very valid complaints. And these complaints are about the noise. These complaints are about the uh, microparticles, as you've mentioned, that are released from the wind turbine blades. These release a chemical called bisphenol A. It is highly toxic. It's banned in most countries. And that's from abrasion of the blades. When these blades are finished, they are cut up and dumped as landfill. You cannot recycle the blades. A bisphenol A leaks out of the blades and gets into the soils and the water. So people on the land are quite justifiably concerned about having these dirty, monstrous, big wind turbines nearby um, slicing and dicing the bats and the birds. Now, uh, if you were an environmentalist, you could not support these things. They spoil the scenery and they kill wildlife. But if you put them offshore... You can't see the killed wildlife that's underneath them. They just drop into the sea. Uh, The bisphenol A gets spread by currents uh, over a very, very wide area. And we do know from the east coast of the US that we have an increased number of wild deaths, probably due to offshore wind turbines. Now, these offshore wind turbines that we've got in Denmark and England, we know they have very much of a shorter life. That's because of the very aggressive saline water that attacks them and they are just left there so uh, it's not a good idea the only reason that these things are being pushed is that there's a quid to be made and those who are owning and operating these turbines and solar complexes are not concerned about cheap electricity they're not concerned about the beauty of our countryside they're not concerned about the wildlife they're not concerned about the cost that the taxpayer has to bear for these. All they want is to make a profit. And and there's nothing wrong with that, but the government has been silly enough to create opportunities for people to make a profit by destroying tried and proven power stations that are still operating. We are killing off power stations that are still operating and we're not replacing them with a station that's operating 24-7. So this is purely a commercial deal for the wind and the solar operators who are mostly overseas companies. Well, I'm sure you watched that Senate committee session last week. It was very refreshing to see anyone from the energy sector talking to politicians and offering alternatives to what, what's happening at the moment mm. and, and on the condition that they don't actually want any subsidies. Well, I think that's a wonderful ploy. Um, the nuclear industry has been around for a long period of time. In this country, we have a reactor that's been here since, uh, well, for about 60 years. We're now on the second reactor. The first one was IFAR and the second one was OPAL. Uh, That reactor has been going for a long period of time. We are a nuclear country. We've been um, using nuclear energy to make medical isotopes for a long period of time. We've got it close to Sydney Airport because these isotopes decay very quickly. We have to get these isotopes made in the reactor to the airport and then shoot them off to Broome or Darwin or East Timor or the um, offshore Pacific Island nations in offshore Australia. So uh, we already have nuclear technology. We've had nuclear technology in submarines and ships since the 1950s. This is old technology which keeps getting made better and better and better. And a good analogy would be look at 
to look at cars, say cars made in 1910, they were pretty primitive. The car today is a fabulous modern feat of engineering. So too with nuclear engineering. Now, with wind and solar, there have been some very slight technological advances made, and that's the shape of the blades, that is the uh, composites used in the blades. But in effect, it's old technology. Why should they be getting subsidies? Why should we be subsidising power that doesn't deliver 24-7? So the best thing we can do for power in Australia is to immediately stop subsidies. And the nuclear industry is not putting up its hand for subsidies. Good on them. I haven't used a part, another part of Chris Bowen's little cute little video that he put up a couple of weeks ago, but he got himself into a bit of trouble uh, insinuating that nuclear waste is a massive problem. He came across looking <clears throat> like Homer Simpson. What is the state of uh, uh, nuclear waste disposal in Australia? Well, Chris Bowen doesn't have to try very hard to make himself look stupid. Uh, he's probably the weakest um, cabinet minister I've seen for decades. We have nuclear waste all through Australia. Every hospital, every university, every CSIO division is creating low-level waste. And this waste is just dispersed through all the cities and there is no central repository for this. If you have a fire alarm in your house, that works on a nuclear material americium which gives out radioactive energy and as soon as you get smoke particles between where you release the radioactivity and where you detect it you'll get a signal when you finish with that you throw it out you don't put that in a central repository so we have nuclear material spread all over the country we also have uh, a number of areas where we have concentrated waste material this is concentrated waste from mines, for example, the Radium Hill mine that operated between 1906 and 1961, and it's got quite considerably large dumps. Those dumps have been sterilised, but that is a form of nuclear waste. We've got the same sort of nuclear waste with the dumps at Olympic Dam. Much of that stuff gets stored underground as, as fill, but we have waste that humans have left there. So what Chris Bowen is talking about is high-level waste. We have no storage for our high-level waste from Lucas Heights, and we have no storage of our high-level waste from uh, our future nuclear submarines. It's about time that the minister, instead of having a whinge and saying, oh, you know, we can't do it, is being uh, just looking around the country and saying, well, can we do it? How can we do it? We well, have some very deep mines in this Australia where we can store it. We have operating deep mines like at Mount Isa, Olympic Dam or Broken Hill. We've got, as I mentioned before, Radium Hill, a very deep mine in South Australia. It's on an isolated station. It's just on one station. It's not near any uh, community. The nearest population is the township of O'Leary. Most people just slow down to 80 going through O'Leary, but it does have a pub and a population of four. It has no shop. It's got a railway siding. It's 117 kilometres uh, southwest from Broken Hill. So Radium Hill would be the perfect place. There used to be a railway line going into Radium Hill carrying heavy equipment. Um, you can easily put that back again. Putting material on railway systems is cheap. We've got the transcontinental railway line very close by. So we have the perfect place for waste. And uh, Chris well, Bowen you, doesn't you, even you, you're talking. You're talking about sort of, you know, infrastructure and strategies to solve these problems. Ian, I think one of the problems in this is that the conversation has become 
too circular and the corporate sector, instead of deferring to the government and, you know, uh, agreeing with all its catastrophic um, prognostications, should be looking for solutions and offering them just like those gentlemen did at the Senate committee last week. Oh, quite right. The corporate sector in Australia has become very weak and woke. There were years ago where the corporate sector wouldn't have put up with the behaviour of the government. Uh, we have one or two people, and I can only think of Gina Reinhart, but uh, one or two people in this country who actually stand up and have a view based on solid economics and, and practical matters. Previously, the corporate world put up an argument in the 1970s that Australia could mine uranium. We could then process this into yellow cake. We could then make our own fuel rods. We could then send these fuel rods abroad and lease them to countries that want to use nuclear power. We could then bring them back, clean them up, and charge, of course, for that, then send them off again. Now, this is a perpetual money-making machine. It never stops. And we have more and more countries using nuclear power. We have more and more countries that need our uranium. Why don't we become the equivalent of the Saudi Arabia, of the nuclear industry? We could control the world's whole nuclear industry. We're the third biggest producer, but that doesn't stop us controlling them. And that's because we're a continent of 25 or so million people We've got some very, very vast areas where we could store materials. We have uranium mines in isolated parts of Australia, and it would be very, very easy to take any unspent fuel and store it there until we can use that again. Well, just, so, just quickly before you go, Ian, because we're almost out of time, but I think the government is pandering to a, an easily frightened uh, electorate at the moment. We saw that how easily frightened Australians are these days during the COVID crisis, but... I think one of the, just to, just to focus on climate catastrophism instead of science for a second and see what you think about this, I think one of the attractions of climate catastrophism is that it gives people something to worry about at a time when life really isn't all that threatening. Do you think environmentalists reject good news about energy production because they're just addicted to the feeling of a moral panic? Well, you have power over someone if you can get them to panic. The environmentalists are not interested in people. They're interested in their own power and money. And we had a very good example of that in the 1700s. In the absolute coldest period of the Little Ice Age, witches were rounded up and burnt. And that was because these witches were giving us a very cold time, starvation, crop failures, etc. After they stopped burning witches, the temperatures start to warm up. So it's absolute proof. If you can pillory people or put them into Facebook jail or burn them as a witch, you will change the global climate. That's the sort of mentality that we have to deal with with environmentalists. Ian, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Professor My Ian word. Plymer, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That's Professor Ian Plymer, Australia's leading expert commentator on the wokeness of energy policy. That's all from me. Thanks for watching. The great Alan Jones is up next at 8 o'clock. And if you haven't yet, tune in for the Mark Stein Show at 5 o'clock Australian Eastern Time every Tuesday to Friday. Or check out his shows at adh.tv or on our app. You can also see great content from Lyle Shelton, Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, D David Flint, Nick Cater and more. Tell your friends, ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock.
Good night.